want you to begin to ask yourself something. That is, try to imagine really how God can use you, how God can use your family, how God can use our church uh, to impact the day in which we live, to impact the future. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, we read this. Without faith, no one can please God. Anyone who comes to God must believe that he is real and that he rewards those who truly want to find him. Now, this verse, for those who know the Bible, is right in the middle of what we've come to call the Hall of Faith, the Great Hall of Faith, because in this chapter are listed the stories of people who really believed in God. They believed that God could do something significant in and through their lives. It's also what I would call the Hall of Impact, because these people didn't just live for themselves. They actually let God use them to impact people around them for eternity. And the theme here, of course, is faith. Let me read you a couple more excerpts from chapter 11. It was by faith that Noah heard God's warning about things that he could not yet see. He obeyed God and built a large boat to save his family. By his faith, listen to this, Noah showed that the world was wrong, and he became one of those who were made right with God through faith. The next verse says, it was by faith Abraham obeyed God's call to go to another place God had promised to give him. He left his own country not knowing where he was to go. By faith, Noah. By faith, Abraham. And then down in verse 24, it was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of the king of Egypt's daughter. He chose to suffer with God's people instead of enjoying sin for a short time. Do you see the pattern here? By faith, by faith, by good, haven't lost all of you yet. These were people who made an impact because of what they believed, because of what they were convinced of. Hear me, saints, it wasn't just an intellectual faith. It wasn't just a feeling. It was a decision. It was a result. It was a decision that they made based on what they knew. And the result of that decision, the result of their faith, is that something changed. Noah started a building project that some commentators suggest lasted probably 75 years. Uh, the Bible tells us that Abraham left his own family, his own country, moved someplace he didn't know where he was going. And Moses, of course, was born into great wealth but he chooses rags over riches. I want you to ask yourself this morning, what does it mean to actually make an impact? What changes are you willing to make as a follower of Jesus Christ in order for the Lord to use you to make change around you? Back in the early 400s, uh, the 4th century A.D., there was a man we've come to know as St. Patrick. I can't pronounce his real name. I looked it up. I'm just going to call him a St. Patrick. But he was a Brit. And he was actually a British missionary who traveled to Ireland at a time when Ireland was a very dark and pagan culture. Because he wanted to talk to them about God. And he was trying to find a way to communicate with them just who God was and, and just how the, the God was made up. And so he, he, he decided that he would use what we have come to know as the Celtic knot. You ever seen the Celtic knot? We have, there you go, the Celtic knot. There's a picture for you there. 
The Celtic knot, of course, it has no beginning, it has no end, all three sides are perfectly equal, there's a flow, and Patrick thought that's the perfect image of the Trinity, of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So he used that to talk to them about the Trinity. This morning I want to, I want to use the same image to make it our symbol for the next few weeks to show us how we, and as a church and individuals, how we can have a, an impact in our city that I believe needs Jesus as much as Ireland did 1,600 years ago. And here's how I believe we can do it. I want to look at three facets of what I believe are foundational for having a lasting impact. And those three facets are to believe, to belong, and to bless. Will you say that with me? To believe, to belong, and to bless. And I want to begin with the first one, to believe. When you read Hebrews chapter 11, and I really encourage you, if you haven't done it for a while, go through chapter 11 again, and you'll see that people made a significant impact, but they didn't do it just through greater effort. They didn't do it just through their own talent. They did it by putting their faith in God. They did it by actually cultivating a walk with God that made a difference in their lives, and their belief led to specific behaviors. And so there's two simple things that I want you to take home with you today. The first one is this. The person who makes an impact is, first of all, a person who believes in a God who created everything. Now, that sounds pretty basic, but the truth is that you and I will never truly make an impact unless we are absolutely convinced of this, that everything comes from God and everything will end with God. Everything comes from Him. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father. And every one of us one day will stand before God for how we use what He has given to us, our very life, and all that that entails. In Psalm 139, David said this, Lord, You have examined me and You know all about me. You made my whole being. You formed me in my mother's womb. I don't know, I don't know if you caught that, but David is saying, God, not only did you create the universe, the expanse, the, the wonder of things I can't imagine, they're so beautiful, but you are also intimately involved in weaving together my body, weaving together my personality when I was in my mother's womb. I want you to imagine the impact we could really begin to have if we really stop believing the devil's lie that we're nobody special, we're nobody different, we don't have the gifts that somebody else has, we don't have the income, we don't have the looks, whatever it may be, and we really begin to understand, as David says, that God gave incredible attention to make you, you. That God was intimately involved in the creation of your life. And that's why I believe fundamentally we are all accountable to God at the end of our life. Why? Because God made us uniquely us at the beginning of our life. And so he says, you're accountable for what I've given to you and what I've put into you. David goes on to say in verse 14, I praise you because you made me in an amazing and wonderful way. What you have done is wonderful. I know this very well. Why don't you tell the person beside you, I am wonderful. Look at me the way I was made. Look at my heart if you have to, but just look at the way that I was made. I am wonderful. I'm kind of sound like Joel Osteen here. I kind of, and I appreciate him, don't get me wrong, but it just kind of came to my mind. 
But I really believe that you can tell people who understand who their creator is when they really know their creator. Because when you do, you're a grateful person. And you begin to live a grateful life. And you make an impact in lives around you. And then in the last part of that same psalm, in verse 23, David writes, God, examine me and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any bad thing in me and lead me on the road to everlasting life. You see, David begins with acknowledging that God is the source. And then David expresses gratitude for the fact that God is that source, and then is followed by a trust that says, God, examine me. Examine me. If I really believe that you made me, if I really believe that you intimately created me, if I really believe you have a purpose for me, Lord, examine me. Show me where I'm right. Show me where I'm strong. But also show me where I'm off track. Show me those areas where I still need to grow so that I know what I'm supposed to be doing with what you have given to me. And I want to ask us this morning, is that what's going on in your life? Are you living your life? Are you stewarding your life in a way that truly believes that God made you? Is there a gratitude in your heart that says, God, I'm so convinced that you're real. I'm so convinced that you have made me. Lord, I want to understand what you've given to me. I want you to open my eyes to stop believing the devil's lies for what he shows you when looking in the mirror. I want to see what you see when you made me, the purpose for which you made me. And Lord, I want to live with gratitude in my heart and, and invite you to keep me on track, to show me where I'm getting off track and to keep me focused on your purpose for my life. I mean, if you believe that your life is your own, then as the Epicureans used to say, what? Just eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow you die. You know, it's kind of like the bumper sticker, whoever has the most toys at the end wins. That's what life is all about. If that's what you believe, but if you believe you were purposely created by a loving God who knows you and knows what he has for you and knows how you should live, I want to encourage us this morning, saints, I want to encourage us to dedicate ourselves again to him. And say, Lord, help me to glorify you with my life. Help me, Lord, to make an impact. I'm 55 years old. I've been in the ministry for almost 35 years. And I can tell you this. I don't want to be stale. I don't want to just do ministry. I don't want to just do pastoral stuff. My intention is, Lord, it's not how I appear before people. I want to be true to you. I want to be true to the things that you're stirring in my heart. I want you to be real to me. I don't care what anybody else believes. I don't care the other doctrines, the opinions. Lord, you made me. I'm accountable to you. And sometimes that's going to please people. Sometimes it's going to get people kind of you know, upset or irritated because maybe you're not what they want them to be. But Lord, I believe you created me. And I want to be accountable to you today, to what you're stirring in my heart, to what new things you want to bring me into and show me about yourself. I don't want to get stuck in theology. How many understand we don't have all the answers? No denomination does. Jesus Christ is the key. He's the core. He's the foundation. But friends, there's a whole lot of stuff we can still learn and grow in, just like every other denomination. Amen? There's nothing wrong with denominations. They're all just different flavors. But you know what's wrong? It's denominationalism. There's a big difference. Denominationalism says I'm better than you or that you're not as spiritual. That's garbage. That's from the pit of hell. That is not the spirit of God. We are all one body and we all bring beautiful things, but we have to have a heart that says, Lord, help me never to get stuck in a rut. Help me to be on a track that's moving forward in new things that you're doing and in new things that you want to grow in us. 
And it begins with a deep belief that there is a God who created everything, and everything he created is going to answer to him. And it continues, number two, with the belief that there is a Jesus who died for everyone. A God who created everything and a Jesus who died for everyone. You know, there would be enough of an obligation to live for God if all we understood is that he created us. That would be enough. He gave you the gift of life. There you go. You're accountable to live for him. But there's more to it than that. Those of us who follow Jesus Christ, we know that not only did God create us, God recreated us. The Bible uses the term redemption. God redeemed us. What that means is this, that when I was on the slave block, to be auctioned off, my life to be taken from me, the purpose robbed from me, to live under somebody else's control, Jesus actually went to the slave auction and he bought my freedom. And he bought my freedom at the cost of his own son's life. What did he do in doing that? Not to make me religious. He actually saved me from a way of thinking and behaving that was destroying my life, that was dysfunctional, that was never going to experience all that God has made for me and the good works, as Ephesians says, that he still has in store for me. So you might say, I'm actually doubly indebted to God. I'm indebted because he made me and gave me the gift of life, and I'm indebted again because I turned my back on him, and yet he died for me to purchase me back. Now, Paul writes this to the Philippians. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Jesus Christ took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Friends, when you think about it, this is one of the most insightful verses, I believe, in the entire Bible. Paul says that he presses on to take hold of the thing for which Jesus Christ took hold of him. Does any of us honestly believe that Jesus went through all he did to save us from our sin so that once we say a sinner's prayer, the Lord says, okay, you're good with me, go live your life, see you in a few years. No, he has a purpose for us. That's why he saved us. What's he talking about? For those of you who may be aware, we're in the middle of the Stanley Cup playoffs. My team lost a long time ago, so I kind of check into it once in a while, but anybody know who's playing the Pittsburgh Penguins and the Nashville Predators, right? Heard lots of female voices. That's encouraging. Well, uh, I think it's 2-1 now, last night, uh, Nashville won. Uh, Pittsburgh is still leading this series, but they say it's in large part due to this rookie phenomenon, this uh, sensation named Jake Gunsel who actually leads the Pittsburgh Penguins with 13 goals just in the playoffs. <laughs> I heard an amen. Okay. <laughs> Say, wrap it up, Pastor. I got it taped, you know. <laughs> now, the season's going to be wrapping up uh, pretty soon. But this month, the NHL will also hold the uh, 2017 entry draft for the teams next year. And what's going to happen is that every team is going to do whatever they can to try to get hold of what we call an impact player. 
It's that one player that can possibly turn the franchise around, like your Wayne Gretzky, Sidney Crosby, some of these phenomenal athletes. They're looking for that one player, all the tests, the, the, the hockey uh, combine, and all the things they go through. They're looking for that one impact player that can make a difference between a winning season and a losing season. Uh, the difference between actually winning or losing the ultimate prize, which is the Stanley Cup. So basically what the teams are trying to do, they're trying to lay hold of a draft pick so that he can help them lay hold of the prize that they're after, the championship. Here's the reality. Jesus took hold of you, not only to save you, he took hold of you to make an impact in your world. He took hold of you to make impact in the people who you might say are on your team, who are in your sphere of influence. One of my favorite missionaries in history was a, name by the name, uh, a man by the name of C.T. Studd, Charles Studd. He was a Brit, and uh, he was a wealthy man. He was born into privilege. He was actually a, a fantastic cricketer as well, one of the main sports, of course, in the U.K. He played for all England. And so here he was, an athlete, he had prestige, he was popular, uh, he was born into an elite family, had great wealth, and yet as a young man, he renounced his wealth, he renounced his fame in the prime of his life, and he traveled alone into the heart of Africa. At the turn of the 20th century, early 1900s, he went into regions that nobody had ever gone because he was absolutely convinced that God had made him for a purpose. He was absolutely conv convinced that everyone needs Jesus. And he left all of those things, not even with a promise or expectation to ever return home, to ever see his family again. And Charles wrote a poem called Only One Life. There are several stanzas. I'll read you just the last two. He wrote, Oh, let my love with fervor burn. And from the world now let me turn, living for thee and thee alone, bringing thee pleasure on thy throne. What did the Bible say in the last days? The people of God will be lovers of pleasure. C.T. Studd, no, let me bring you pleasure. Only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I'll hear the call, I know I'll say, "'Twas worth it all. Only one life, twill soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last." That is truer than true. You know, the Stanley Cup playoffs this year was kind of interesting because you actually had five Canadian teams for the first time since I can remember actually going into the playoffs. I think it's been 24 years, they say, since the Stanley Cup has ever returned to its proper home here in Canada. But you know what? Regardless of who wins the cup, and I, I enjoy, like anybody else, watch a bit of playoff sports, but you know what? Regardless of who wins the cup, six years from now, or six months from now, for a lot of those athletes, six days from now, for those of us watching, it's not going to matter. It's not going to matter. And some of the wives are saying, listen, listen to what he's saying. It's not going to matter. In fact, there are some fans who actually spend countless hours creating their own team online. And then they compete with other people online as well based on the performance of their players in actual games. It's called fantasy sports. 
which is actually redundant because sports are a fantasy. Every sport is a fantasy. What I mean by that is it's not real. Friends, hear me this morning. It's not real because no lives are lost. No eternities are changed. No marriages are being healed. No families are being restored. No addicts are being set free. What Paul is saying is, listen to me, saints, we need to be taking hold of what is real. We need to take hold of a real cause. We are fighting to win victories that will matter forever. And Paul says, I want to press in. I want to focus. I want to cut things away from me. I want to forget things that aren't important because I want to take hold of that. I want to, depart, uh, to devote every part of my being, every part of my life, devoted to what really is going to matter. Paul says in Corinthians, every athlete in training submits to strict discipline in order to be crowned with a wreath that will, that will not last. But we do it for one, for a wreath, a crown that will last forever. And of course, Paul is using the metaphor of the sports games back in his day. We noticed the Olympics back in Athens. It was common in the Roman Empire that for the victorious athlete, they would stand in the podium and they would receive an olive uh, branch, whatever you want to call it, that was woven into a crown, and that crown was placed upon their head. And that crown showed that not only were they victorious, but all of their sacrifice, all of their effort was worth it. The price they paid was worth it because they got this crown. And then Paul goes on to remind them that when the athlete returns home, what would he do? He would take that crown, that wreath, he would lay it on the mantle for everybody to see, but over time, it would begin to dry up. It would become brittle. It would begin just to fall apart. And not only would the wreath one day be gone, but even his fame, because there's always somebody else coming up through who's going to overshadow, and he will be forgotten. But Paul's main point is this, is to remind us that there are people who exercise incredible discipline and passion to reach a goal that provides a sense of joy for a short time. But he says, we have been laid hold of by Jesus to lay hold of something that actually matters. And Paul says, I want you to live your life in such a way as to receive the crown. The crown's actually mentioned by different names in the Bible. It's called the crown of glory, the crown of rejoicing, the crown of righteousness, the crown of life. But what's the crown made up of? It's made up of our very lives since the day that we came to Jesus Christ. Friends, we are not saved. We don't get into heaven because of our good works. We're not saved by our good works. But what we are saved is for good works that the Lord has determined in advance. Before he even made you, he knew you. He shaped you in your mother's womb. He had already mapped out what he wants you to do, lives he wants you to touch, lives he wants you to intersect. That's why Paul is saying, that's what I want. Because I recognize whether it's my time, whether it's my money, whether it's relationship, whatever it may be, the devil is always there on the sidelines during my, during my run saying, here, take a break. Here, take this. Take this way. Take this diversion. And he will always fill areas in our lives that are empty when we're looking for pleasure, when we're looking for novelty. We're looking for something to give us a sense of joy. He says, do this, do this, do this. And you know what? We go through weeks and months and years, and we burn through our finances. We just go through a whole lot of stuff. So at the end of the day, we have nothing to show. 
And that's what C.T. Studd was saying. That's what Paul was saying. He said, I forget that stuff. I cut all that stuff off. I'm running the race because my eyes have got a glimpse of who God is. He's my creator. He has made me. He knows me. He has purpose for my life. And Jesus came to pay the price to show how valuable the kingdom work is really all about. That's what I'm after. That's what's important. That's what I will be accountable to one day. And I thank God that he shows me that so that one day I can stand before him unashamed. I can actually look forward to the day when I will see him. Jesus said to John in Revelation 14, he said, write this. Blessed are the dead who die from now on in the Lord. And then it's like the Holy Spirit chimes in. He says, yes, they will rest from their hard work. And the reward of all they have done, what? Stays with them. Do you hear that? All the hard work the people of God have done for the Lord. Another translation says, it will follow them. That's amazing. There's nothing we are taking from this world. Don't care how nice your home is, how nice your car is, whatever it may be, and those aren't bad things, but it's all staying. It's all rotting. You know what? One year after your death, six minutes after your death, it's not going to matter. Not going to matter at all, but the Lord says, here are things that you can actually take with you. And when Paul talks about take and hold, I believe he's referring to this crown. It's a crown that we're going to lay at the feet of Jesus, the Bible says, in gratitude for all that he has made possible. Friends, we could never repay Jesus. Jesus literally went through hell for us on the cross. Jesus gave his life for me. Why? So that he could buy my life back. And in buying my life back, he can give my life purpose and then engage me in eternal pursuits. But here's the key. Although I can never repay Jesus, I can respond to him. I can respond to what he has done for me. In 1 Thessalonians 2, Paul says to the people there, you are the crown we will take pride in when our Lord Jesus Christ comes. Listen to what Paul is saying. He's talking to the people in Thessalonica who were not going to heaven. They were going to hell. But he says, now you're going to heaven because Jesus took hold of me and I took hold of his purpose for my life. Paul is saying that when he stands before Jesus one day, he will lay these people before the Lord. Paul says, they are my crown. You are my crown. So it's not just the good works that we do. It's the lives that are changed. I want to recast some vision for a few moments in closing this morning. Here at Glad Tidings, we absolutely believe that Jesus died for everyone. That's why we have ministries that we do. That's why we support some of the ministries in town and around the world that are very intentional in reaching people for Jesus Christ. We honestly believe, as leadership in this church, that Jesus died for everyone. We honestly believe that he wants to save people from their sin. We really believe that. We honestly believe that he wants every one of us to be bold, to be a witness for him wherever we are, at home, in the neighborhood, in the marketplace, wherever it may be. I honestly believe that God wants Jesus to be on our mind. Does that make sense? It's not just about the church or the size of a church or the worship in a church, whatever. It's just about every single one of us being engaged in the kingdom and walking through the course of the week and realizing that there are people whose lives will be changed forever if I will just tune in. If I would just cut things away, if I'll just get rid of the noise and get rid of the distractions and the, and the novelties and the preoccupations, the Lord will do amazing things through us. 
He will open our eyes and allow us to participate in things that truly bring a sense of joy and fulfillment. There's a number of ministries we have on here at Glad Toddings, and we have a few that are, uh, that are in the pike there, coming down the pike that we're going to be talking more about. For example, this summer, uh, for the first time, we're going to be holding what is called an EAL camp or ESL, uh, English Second Language or English as Another Language at the camp. Uh, we're creating a camp for, for young people and children of immigrants who have come to Moncton and in trouble learning the English language. We're going to have a one-week camp for them, and we're going to have an opportunity to build a relationship with them and with their families and things like ALF and other things that will follow that. That's one thing that we're launching this summer. We're also partnering this past year with a ministry called Christian Network of Ministry to Muslims to reach the growing Muslim population in our, in our, in our city, and we're looking forward to what the Lord's going to do through that. We're also planning, in the planning stage of an outreach uh, to senior citizens which I believe are one of the largest neglected people groups in our community today. And we want to see a facility that we can use through the course of the week with a senior wellness center and some senior programs that's not just for our seniors, but it's actually reaching out to seniors in our city who haven't heard the gospel of Jesus Christ or maybe did as a child and got away from the Lord. I believe there are literally thousands of people in that category, and God has good things planned. Uh, children, there's just more for children we can do, after-school programs, these kind of things. But the point is we want to take hold of what really matters. We want to take hold of that as an individual. We want to take hold of that as a congregation. We want to be doing things that we can actually take with us. I mean, isn't that what you want to be involved in? Isn't it great that at the end of your life, it's almost like if the Lord could open your eyes, you know, at the feet of your hospital bed, you could just see these treasures you know, the Lord would just bring people to your mind that you've talked to over the years, you've helped, you've witnessed to, whatever the case may be, and you realize all that stuff, it's going with me. Wouldn't that be wonderful? I mean, if the Lord gave you a glimpse on your deathbed, you know, two big burly angels, they just walk in with big treasure chests, they open up and they put all your treasures in there. You know, they put a sticker on that says, heaven bound. And they say, okay, we're ready. That's what's going to happen. In fact, the scripture says that we can actually not fear the coming of the Lord or going to meet the Lord. We can actually anticipate an abundant entrance into the kingdom. It reminds me of some of those uh, old Victorian stories, you know, the wealthy when they traveled abroad. You know, you had the rich lady or the spinster or whatever, you know, they're going to India or someplace and, and they get off the train and there's like 25 suitcases, just trunks and suitcases stacked. And, you're, you know, you pity the poor person that has to carry all that stuff. But that's going to be us. That's going to be us. It can be. Or we can be somebody, you know, like flying on an airplane. I just got to carry on. And I just got my salvation and maybe my family. And we made it. Wasn't sure. We can have an abundant entrance. Now, as I mentioned at the outset of this message, I believe the three facets of our faith that really are foundational to a lasting impact for God. It is to believe, to belong, and to bless. We're going to look more at those next two in the weeks to come. But today I want to invite you to believe with me for one thing that I believe is an important part of our impact. It's a very important part of our impact to our people in our church and to those who will one day call this church their home. We've talked about it the year before last, and you've seen some uh, pictures in the foyer and stuff. But in a very practical way, it has to do with our plan to expand our facilities. We are looking, much long overdue, to expand on the outside of our back parking lot attached to our building, a new wing 
that will hose, house rather many of the ministries to our children and new ones that we're talking about. It's going to be a more creative and inviting space for our, for our youth and our young adults and our adults. We're also looking as part of that plan to reconfigure some of our old rooms in order that we're able to hold multiple ministries at one time. In our present building, for example, on Sunday nights, we can't do a whole lot. We have our children's ministry, the Discipleship King's Castle. It uses everything in the building, and we have a sanctuary here at Pews. That's it. We have a building that's not functional. It's outdated. If you're new here or just come on Sundays and sit in the pew, you may not see the need, but if you're involved in any way in ministry, you can see that it's very constricting, and we're limiting to what we can do. And so that is our plan. We've prepared a package for you. Uh, that I want to encourage you to pick up when you leave this morning. And if you just may be new to Glad Tides, but you're saying, hey, we want to make this our church home, please grab a packet. You don't have to be a member. Just p- feel free to grab a packet. And I'm going to ask you just to sign your name when you take it, just so we know who has received the packet and who we need to mail it to or get it out to. But uh, when you leave this morning in the foyer, on the side foyer, in the front foyer, uh, there's some uh, tables there, and you'll get a packet that will have some information for you. But just to give you a visual idea, I just have a, a little 20-second clip here that we're going to show you. Just gives you a bit of idea uh, physically on the outside what that structure is going to look like. So let's just watch that for a second before we continue on. Now, the most exciting part of that for me is a new storage shed. Anybody that does ministry here, you know how much we need additional storage here. There's also architectural pictures you'll see on the walls, and, and uh, we'll have a couple up in the foyer there, there next week. Uh, the total cost for the expansion we're looking at is $2.85 million, which sounds like a lot of money. It is. <laughs> but you know what? Realistically, most of us live in homes. 175,000, 250,000, 275. This is for one family. We're talking a couple hundred families. But 2.85 million is the cost. Our goal is to raise 1.25 million and then to finance the remainder. Now, I'll try to break this down slowly, but it's pretty straightforward. Of the one and a quarter million dollars that we want to raise, we plan to generate about 350,000 from a uh, property development that we have as we start selling some of the lots. Uh, we estimate probably more than that, but at least 350000 Also, 250000 in our savings that we're moving toward already, and then 650000 in gifts and pledges from our church family in what we want to pledge above and beyond our tithes and missions giving toward this goal over a period of, of three years in that commitment. Now, of that $650,000 goal that we have, 330,000 has already been pledged, so we're, we're well on our way. Of that 330,000, as you can see, 235,000 has already come in. So people have been honoring their pledge. Uh, we're 70% at that first mark. And so to date, what that leaves us is $320,000 to raise in new gifts and pledges, which we believe that we can do. We believe it's very attainable. It's going to take a bit of sacrifice on our parts, but we can definitely do it. Now, in your... Bro- in your uh, packet this morning that you're going to receive, uh, first of all, you're going to see a brochure. Now, if you had one of these in the past last year or so, grab a new one. We've got new pictures and, and some updated information on the back, some of the, the figures and so on, a little bit of information for you. Um, you're also going to see in there, along with a letter from me, you're going to see a pledge card, which we have uh, up here as well. Thank you. And uh, on the back of the pledge card, there are four suggested, option, uh, suggested options for giving. Pretty straightforward, but it go like this. The first option is very simply, if you have made a pledge already and uh, you have either fulfilled your pledge or you've got another year to go, um, then I want to encourage you that you would write down the amount. We know that you've made a pledge. 
But if you would just write down that amount again and then print your name on the bottom, that is great. Because we want to get a, a total of all those who have been involved in the campaign and those who haven't but want to be. We want to get a total because our goal is going to be $650,000 altogether. So if you have made a commitment, then I'm going to ask you just to write down that on the first line. The information is going to be in the packet there for you. The second line is if you have made a commitment and you've either fulfilled it or you're well on your way, but you say, you know what, things have changed, the Lord's been good, we have more income coming, we, we really believe more in what's going on, didn't really make a big pledge last time, we want to step out like others, you want to change that, you put that in the second line, just say, hey, we're going to increase a little bit. But whatever it is, you put that in if, it's, if, if you're going to increase, okay? In other words, you're only going to fill in one line of the four. So if you've already given, first line, if you want to increase the second, but also in the third, and this is not some kind of marketing scheme, we're very sincere, if on the other side you've found that time has gone by and things changed, lost a job maybe or whatever the case may be, and you feel like, you know what, Pastor, we feel bad, but we, it just doesn't seem like we can make that uh, exact pledge, or you just need to pray about it, whatever, then we want to give you opportunity as well to modify what your amount may be. Now, mind you, we're talking a pledge over a three-year period, so it's not that things can't change again, and we want you to go by what God's put in your heart, just like we did. We didn't just say, you know, we didn't write, sit down with our, our, our books and our account and say, okay, what can we squeeze out? No, we said, Lord, what do you want us to give? Drop a number in our heart, and that's what the Lord did, and it's a big number, and it requires sacrifice from us, but we're trusting the Lord for that. Um, so if that's your case, you need to modify your gift, you can just write down on the third line. And then finally, if you're new to Glad Toddings, or you haven't made a commitment yet as part of the Glad Toddings family, and you want to, in this campaign, then I ask you to write that amount down again on the fourth line. So you're only going to write on one line, but we want you to, to print your name on the bottom so that we can know what our total pledge amount is and we can bring a report back to you. So what we're asking is that everyone this morning would take a packet and then take, sign, and return a card, whether you're new to the campaign or that you've already fulfilled your pledge. And then on the last Sunday of this month, June 25th, um, we are going to receive all the pledge cards. Now, if you're planning to be away on the 25th, you can just drop it into the office. You'll have an envelope in your packet, or you can mail it to us if you'd like to be wonderful. You'll find all that information in your, in your packet. I'm not going to break it down too much more. But there's something I shared last week that I want to be clear on at our information meeting uh, about this uh, for those who came out, and that is that this is not a win-lose proposition, this whole project. It's about a timetable. Whatever, what I mean by that is whatever you commit to give is going to determine how fast we move. It's just that simple. We'd really love to be able to break ground next spring. I think we desperately need the addition and just for things we have in the back burner we want to launch, we need the facility to do that. But in any case, that's our plan, but it's going to depend on God's provision. You have one responsibility. It is this. It is very simply and sincerely to go to the Lord, if this is your church family, and say, Lord, what would you have us do? What would you have me do? And then trust the Lord to deliver. You know, Vanessa and I, we really believe in the ministry of Glad Tidings. We really believe in our mission to impact this city. And like I say, if you work behind the scenes, you see lives every week that are being impacted, lives being changed forever. And so we believe in the mission of our church. That's just the musicians, they're not leaving. I didn't offend anybody in case you wondered. <laughs> You're probably thinking, my, the musicians are sensitive people. <laughs> yeah, you talk money with musicians. They're, you know. No, they're just coming to lead us in a second here. But, um, but we really do believe uh, in this project. We believe in a building that meets our growing needs. 
And to that end, Vanessa and I have made a financial commitment that I can honestly say it is the largest commitment we've ever made to anything. And there's sometimes I look at it and I gulp because <laughs> there's still lots of needs. But something I've learned is this. If you're a parent, you know what it is to be sacrificial, don't you? You know what it is to sacrifice for your children. Now, we live in a credit card culture, so I know that some parents, they just put things on the card and you don't really feel the pinch until later and you're used to having a lot of debt. We don't operate that way. And so for us, when we give our children something, we pay for something, we buy something for them, it's not just, hey, we got, you know, money grows on, right? Money doesn't grow on trees. So basically what we're saying is when we give you something, we love you and we want to meet your need, but to meet your need, we're going to, we're going to not meet our need. We're going to go without in order to meet your need. Does that make sense? You don't just say, hey, I got, you know, I got oodles, take all you want. No, because I love you, I'm going without because I want to meet your need. I want you to have this. And so there's things that I let drop, things that I, don't, that I don't have. That's how it works in a family. And in the same way, Vanessa and I have chosen to sacrifice, honestly, many of our own needs and wants for the Glad Tidings family for one reason. We honestly believe that God is making a difference through this church. We really believe that. And, and I'm encouraged by, again, just testimonies and people I know and lives I see and being changed. And, and as difficult sometimes the sacrifice can be, financially, it's so rewarding. Because I realize, you know, we're not just given to a, a building, to concrete and plaster. No, no, we're given to a vision to reach more people, to have more Ron and Kims and more testimonies of what God is doing. It's just part of meeting growing needs. And, and so just as we are here today, you know, because of the sacrifice of those before us, Friends, I want, I'm not sure how to say this because everything in our culture goes against this. But everything that you might know and enjoy about glad tidings, do you realize you do because people before you paid a price? People before you sacrificed. People before you had a vision for their generation and for the generation to come. And, and friends, we really need to be a people who realize that it's our turn to step up. It's our turn to step up for our generation. It's our turn to step up for the generation coming after us. I want to close with Paul's final words recorded in his letter to Timothy. Paul said, I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. And I've kept the faith. What faith did Paul keep? What did Paul believe? Paul believed that God created everything. And Paul believed that Jesus died for everyone. And friends, I, I stand here this morning unashamed for the vision that we're sharing because I believe with all my heart God has given us resources. God has given us influence. God has given us time to make an impact. But that's going to take more than just a couple hours on a Sunday. It's going to take more than a few dollars in the plate, a portion of our income, and then kind of just going back to living the rest of the week as if that's all there is to it. If we're going to have an even greater impact in the days to come, we have to begin with what we believe. We have to begin with what we believe. And if we really believe it, friends, it's going to change everything. If we really believe it, it's going to have an impact. And that impact is going to follow us into eternity. I really believe it's time as a congregation that the Lord get hold of all of our hearts and to realize this is not just a place I attend. And if it is, it's a place that I receive, and I'm encouraged, and I'm nourished, and I expect certain ministry. But you know what? In this generation that is so me-centered, it's also time as the people of God to get a vision 
to get a vision for what God still wants to do in the future, the lives he still wants to change, and all the ministries that are going on beyond just a couple hours on a Sunday morning. There's so much more that goes on through the week, and there's so much more that we want to do. And in fact, I really want to encourage you while I'm up here to say, if you're free Saturday morning, please join us. Amen? That's your park out there. It's not mine. It's our park, right? It's a tribute to the officers, our CMP officers, and all those who serve in that capacity in our city. That, that says something. We, we're proud of that. Those are our church grounds. That's, that's a bike track that kids from all over the community come because they heard about this great bike track. There's behind Glad Tidings and there's relationships. And there's kids playing basketball. There's people that we build a relationship with because of those things. And we as a family take pride in that. I told Susan kind of tongue-in-cheek this morning. I said, if only the staff shows up Sunday, I'm going home. <laughs> I'm going home. I'm not giving up another Saturday. But I really believe with all my heart, we're kind of at a crossroads. We're just like in any other congregation. We've got to say, is this my church or is this really my church? This is really my church. Anybody remember growing up in church in the days where families took turns cleaning the church? Remember those days? Why? This is my church. I remember as a kid growing up in a church mowing the lawn on Saturdays. Always waiting on Sunday for the pastor to acknowledge me. Never did. <laughs> Maybe he'll thank me today. You know, you're a kid. That's what you want. But I also did because it's my church. I had ownership in my church. And I believe it was more than just a building where I go on Sunday to put in a couple hours and flip a couple coins at God. I really believe it's here because God had a vision for it. It's here because lives are being touched. And friends, hundreds and hundreds of lives have been touched in the past, even the recent past. And there's hundreds more that God wants to touch. But it's got to be our church. Amen? And I believe it is for many. But I want to encourage you this morning to say, Lord, just open my heart again. Free me from all the stuff and the clutter that's not going to amount to anything that nobody really cares about. It's not going to make a difference in eternity. Lord, I want to invest my time. I want to invest my money. I want to invest my talent in things that I can take with me, that can follow me. And I believe the Lord still has some great things in store. So I'm going to invite you to stand. I'm going to ask the ministry team to come this morning. And we're just going to close very simply. If you're here today and you have a need, we can pray with you, we can talk with you, encourage you. Then you just come on as we dismiss. You just come and stand. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, but we've been ministering through the Word about, about a God who created you and a Jesus who saves you, wants to save you. If you're here this morning and say, I don't know the Lord, but I sense His presence, I want to know Him. I invite you just to come and stand with somebody and say, I just want to know Jesus, if that's your heart's desire. But as you leave this morning through the side or through those doors, would you just take a moment and just grab one of those packets just sign so we know that you got one. And, uh, and also make sure we have your address because there's some material we just want to send you over the next couple of weeks. But let's give the Lord thanks this morning as we leave. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much that you are a God of vision, that you speak of those things that are not as though they are. You plant vision in our heart. And Lord, you promise to meet the need of those things that are inspired by your spirit. And so, Lord, I pray this morning, may we just again get a sense of what it means to be the church that we are meant to win victories. We are meant to be impact players. We are meant, oh God, to have championships and crowns and trophies and awards that will last forever. And so I just pray, Lord, that in every area of our life that you'd be free, that we would say, Lord, come, examine me. What's my priorities? What do I give myself to? Lord, I want to be about your kingdom. I want to be experiencing things that really bring joy that lasts and that change lives forever. And I pray even now, Lord, your Holy Spirit would just speak to hearts as we move from this place this week and in the days to come. 
We commit it to you. May we honor you with all that we are. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you this morning. Have a wonderful day in the Lord. This evening at 6, from 6 to 7, nice intimate time of prayer and worship. Join us if you're available. If you have a need, come. We want to pray with you. If you're heading out, God bless you. Grab a packet if you would. Have a wonderful day.